Alrighty, hello everyone, and welcome back to the Reformed Dissenters, the show where Reformed Christians dissent against popular ideas of culture by asserting a biblical worldview. My name is Bruce Johnson, joined, of course, by my brother Jacob Johnson. Hello, everybody. And today is Discussion Topic Friday, and as promised, I graciously, I mean, Jacob has been doing a ridiculous amount of work the past two weeks, so... In, in honor of that, um, I have put in a considerable amount of work in today's episode to give Jake a little bit of a break. Um, so, again, uh, sharing some things for him in the comments would just be uh, tremendous. Um, but, uh, yeah, today's topic episode, I've titled it Church Culture Matters. And a little turn of phrase there, it matters, but then also the matters of church culture is what we're going to be discussing today. Mm -hmm. So we want to talk a little bit about uh, what's involved in terms of church culture. What are the things that make up church culture? And then specifically hone in on the cultural and um, really just general impacts of all of those different aspects of church culture. Um, so some of the things we're going to be talking about is like how people dress, uh, worship music, um, weekly interactions with members of the, the congregation, cultural impacts just in general, uh, liturgy, and then at the end, just tie it all together, sermon contents, creeds, theological liturgy, all sorts of stuff. So we got a lot to talk about in today's episode. So I'm, I'm really excited. Um, and it's a discussion topic. So I want to get Jake's thoughts on a lot of these sorts of things because him and I might approach some of the, or well, we approach them actually the same, but the churches we're going to right now are kind of different. different. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Jake's for those of you who don't know, is going to a reformed Episcopal church right now. Um, and I'm in the strange, uh, a situation of currently going to a PCA church, but I'm also a member of the SBC, even though I'm a Presbyterian. It's a strange, <laughs> strange time in my life right now. So, uh, anyways, <laughs> it's a, uh, it's a, it's a funny, funny time to live. So, uh, we're going to talk about a lot of stuff today. But before we get into all of that, we have to do what we always do, which is talk about our verse of the week. And our verse this week is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 21. This passage says, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grow, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And again, that's Ephesians 2, 19 through 21. So this passage, especially today, given the content we're talking about, uh, is pivotal. Um, all of this together. Think about the generations. Think about... 6,000 years of human history, 6,000 years of believers joined together in the church universal. That's what Catholic used to mean was it means universal technically, but um, unfortunately we gave up on the Catholic name and we let the other people take that. <laughs> so, so we don't use that name as much anymore, except in our creeds, right? I believe in the Holy Catholic church, the communion of saints, right? We still use that in our in our creeds and some of those language, uh, and some of the language there. But this is talking about that. 
um, we're fellow citizens with all the saints. We're fellow citizens and members of the household of God. That's the ecclesia. Those, that's the called out ones. That's the church, the body, the bride of Christ. Um, we're built on the foundation of, of the apostles. We're built on the foundation of the prophets. We have a vast and rich history as a church, universal, to draw from. Um, and of course, Christ Jesus is the cornerstone of that. That's the, we're the bride of Christ, after all. Uh, it's part of the title, <laughs> right? The, us being the, the, uh, connected to Christ is inexorably connected to us as we are his bride, right? Um, and the whole structure is joined together. And what does it grow into? It grows into a holy temple in the Lord. 6,000 years of believers, 6,000 years of ecclesia, the called out ones, the church universal is growing together into a holy temple in the Lord. And there's such rich history there. There's, there's so much to draw from. And so today, what I want to talk about is drawing from that rich history, drawing from all of those things, drawing from the apostles, the prophets, um, those who are fellow citizens with us in Christ, in the church, in the church universal. So hopefully the connection to that verse is actually rather clear. I didn't originally select that verse to connect to this, but when I was reading through it and um, I kind of had an inclination for where I wanted to take this discussion topic, I was like, wow, this verse actually fits kind of well with that. So <laughs> kind of funny. Um, so some of you might have seen on our um, our social media platforms, I put it out on Facebook, uh, Getter and Gab, asking about uh, some questions about, about your churches. Um, what are some of the churches you're going to? We have a pretty mixed audience, which is it's kind of cool that we can appeal to, to so mixed of, a, of an audience. Um, we have uh, uh, people who go to all sorts of different churches. There's all, all kinds of different types of churches out there. And so we were just really curious. And so I've based some of what my sections are uh, around what I thought would be the most edifying um, and or the most interesting uh, based on what I got from some of your comments. So um so let's just kind of kick this off. Some of the part of the introduction, and I'll keep it very brief and then jump right into it. Um, obviously, you know, in this episode, we we really want to talk about and discuss matters of church culture and why those particular parts of church culture matter. Um, we want to talk about what the cultural ramifications of these parts of church culture are, like how do they actually impact culture? Um, and that's maybe something that people haven't thought about as much. You know, we, we have liturgy, we have music, we have this, we have that. But all of those things in one way or another impact society, impact America, impact England, impact whatever country or state or community you are in. These things are very important. God wouldn't have us do these things if they didn't have cultural ramifications. And so we want to talk about some of those things. Um, probably many of you will will hear this and immediately jump to preaching. You'd be like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, what the pastor's preaching on uh, impacts culture. And, and yeah, that, that's true. Um, I, I know that when I started thinking about this, and maybe JQ as well, um, that's the first thing I thought about was like preaching, right? Like, oh, cultural ramifications, mm -hmm. cultural impact. Uh, preaching obviously plays plays a big part in that. Right. Um, 
but it, it took me really thinking about church culture and everything that goes into it um, before I realized that God has built so much more into churches than just the Sunday morning sermon. There's so much more there. Um, and also, we've spent a considerable amount of time on this show actually discussing the milk versus meat. You've, you've heard that probably a ton. The milk versus meat uh, debate. Um, and why watering down Sunday morning sermons has led to the cultural demise we see all around us. Um, and, and we certainly need more pastors preaching the whole counsel of God and less, less pastors constantly relaying the truncated salvation message week after week without any calls to real action. That should be obvious, right? I mean, Jake, how many shows have we spent literally just addressing that issue? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I don't know that well, we can count it. I mean, I don't necessarily know if we've spent um, that many episodes just on that solely, but I know we've certainly mentioned it in other episodes. It's definitely been something that it's just like so many times we bring up that that whole point of the truncated gospel and yep. why it's just we can't keep laying on a foundation of dead works. Um, yes. But um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, it just comes up so often um, because it's it's that important. It is important. But in addition to that, um, we need a number of other factors to be dramatically improved. If things are to get better in America, we need to address all of the church culture and not just the preaching. The preaching has to get way, way better. Yeah, that's very true. But so does all the other aspects of church culture. We're in a bad shape as the church. Um, so the first thing I want to talk about, and this might seem really weird, I, I didn't necessarily put these in order of importance, although if I were to do that, I still actually might put this first, just because it puts you in a mindset. It gets you thinking about where you are and what you're doing. I want to talk about how people dress. Sunday morning, how people dress. How do you go into church? How do you dress? That was one of the questions I asked on the social media uh, feed. Um, mm. When we go to church Sunday morning, what are we doing? What are we actually doing? Are we simply performing rituals? Are we reading off a script? Are we are we dancing around a fire, chanting while we hop on one leg? Is that is that what this is? No, absolutely not. When we read the word, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual psalms, songs, and when we pray together, we are entering into the very throne room of heaven. We're entering into the very throne room of heaven. A imagine you were called to talk to the president of the United States tomorrow morning. Imagine that. And yeah, okay. It's fake President Biden. He's pretending to be president right now. Um, so it's not all that impressive. But still, imagine that. I mean, what would you wear? Why would you, why would you wear it? What, what would it convey to the world and to those around you if you decided to wear jeans and a sweatshirt to meet with the president? No matter how much you may or may not like him, would you really honestly wear jeans and a sweatshirt if you were to meet with him personally tomorrow? Heck, but no. But even, even more so than that, think of, I, I think, Bruce, you're making a very, uh, very uh, nice, even though uh, it's not just jeans. Like... I, yes, I can think of someone wearing jeans not being uh, as dressed up, but there are people in churches wearing sweatpants. Yeah. Like, like almost pajama pants in a sense. 
Yeah. I, yeah. You, you, there, because there isn't that reverence. Right. Right. Well, what does that convey? When you wear that, that conveys that you just, you don't care. Now there's an aspect of, you don't want to be gaudy. You don't want to show off, right? You don't want to be prideful and look, look at me, you know, but also think about it. If you're wearing a nice suit, a nice tie, it might be plain, not ridiculously ornate, but it's well put together. It shows respect. It shows that you understand where you are. You are in the throne room of God, for crying out loud. Mm-hmm. This is not, you know, just your everyday, oh, let's go to church and talk about Jesus. Well, right. doing that, but we're in the throne room of God. We should take this very seriously. Um, so Pastor Toby Sumter um, talks about this in one of his blog posts. And if you haven't heard of his blog, it's called Having Two Legs. Really good blog. You should totally subscribe to it. Um, this particular post is called Dressed for the King. And one of the things that he says is that we, of course, are welcomed to Christ no matter what we wear, right? Christ isn't going to say, oh, you're, you're not saved because you're wearing sweatpants. No, mm-hmm. right? We're welcome to Christ no matter what we wear. But just as Christ takes us from where we are and elevates us through the working of his Holy Spirit, we should seek to put on fine clothes as we step out of our rags. It's that elevation. It's that transformation. It's that improving. It's that sanctification. And that should be reflected in what we wear as well. Um, a direct quote from his blog. He said, we dress up for church because we are meeting with our king. And we dress up because we believe that this is part of what the king is doing in us and for us. He is taking our old sinful rags and giving us royal robes of righteousness. He has done this definitively as Jesus Christ, but he is doing this progressively as we are changed from glory to glory as we grow into Jesus Christ. So um, the rest of that blog post is, is really good as well. It's just a small snippet. I highly encourage you to check that out. But Jake, I'd love to discuss with you, maybe just for just a couple seconds, maybe a minute, um, what are the cultural impacts that this has on our attitudes and how that actually like affects our cultural engagement? You know, like the way that we dress impacts how we think. If we look around the room and we see other people dressed in just sloppy clothes, what does that mm-hmm. make us think? You know, like think about what some of the cultural ramifications are. Um and if and there's anything you'd like to add, to add to that. I wanted to ask and kind of ask a clarifying question in a sense. Um, are you saying, when you say to the culture, are you saying to the outward culture um, in the sense of the the sinful culture, right? In, in working with the culture and, and um, combating culture, what part does this play? Um, yeah. And yep. kind of like, I guess... Wearing in in this is outside of just church, right? Wearing nice clothes kind of presents yourself in a better light, right? Mm-hmm. And and we're not just doing it for that, but look at all that God has told us about being a city on a hill. We want mm-hmm. our town, our our city to follow God's law, but why kind of why what's a what's a reason that we do this one of the reasons that we do this not not only just are we doing it to glorify god but we're doing it to show other cities and nations saying oh wow we want to be like that nation causing them to want to be like us yeah and in a sense like 
and it draws them in and brings them in. Yeah, and, well, it's like, well, wow, look at the sense of reverence that they have for the God right. they worship, that they're willing to dress like that every Sunday, every week, dress mm -hmm. well, um, put themselves together well. Uh, and they'll ask, like, why do you do that? Well, sir, I believe that we enter the throne room of God every time mm -hmm. we worship him Sunday morning. And so we dress that like is it. That's another thing that I don't think a lot of people really understand is that we are brought up into the heavenly places. Um, mm. What was yeah. it? My my pastor all the time. So because I'm in an REC church, we have a lot of liturgy, a lot of ornate we'll get sort to of. <laughs> right, right. Um, but what he kind of says is that we are joining in the heavenly uh, worship of God. We are joining the worship service that is going on up in heaven. Mm. That's, that's what's happening. We're joining that yeah. worship service. And the songs that we're singing, we're singing them along, the, along with the angels. We're singing them with yeah. the angels for Amen. God. And so thinking of all of this in that light, even though it doesn't physically happen, right? Yeah. But you kind of kind of have to imagine that in your brain that mm -hmm. that's what's happening I, I think doug wilson um one time was explaining it in a sense of say in your church when you start your church service the roof is lifted off of mm -hmm. the of the church building and you're ascended into yeah. heaven and my think pastor of would that say that just, all the time yep yeah and you know giving that sort of reverence that you know the point and I don't want to go too far into this, but the point of doing all of these things are not necessarily as an outward appearance, but you do want to, in a sense, bring your best foot forward and show that there's a reference to this, that there's a reason for this, and that it doesn't, that you wearing sweatpants doesn't necessarily portray that to God, yeah. um, that you yeah, exactly. actually honor him, that you're willing to spend money on clothing. That yep. yes would be a little bit more expensive, but are you willing to pay that, um, to for church? Yep. Um, yep. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd love to go on. I just have a few more, uh, quite a few yeah. more sections yeah. to hit. So we'll, we'll. But that was great. Yeah. Thank you for for stating all that. Um. So that that brings me into my next point, which I, I want to talk about worship music and uh, the music we sing matters, and the way that we sing it matters. Um, these things are really important. And buckle up. I'm going to try not to rant on this because I don't have a lot of time, but I honestly could rant on this for hours. <laughs> like, <laughs> I have a problem. As a musician, this, this, this hits very close to home for me. Um, but, you know, far too many people and, and far too often, far too many people have a very loose definition of biblically defined worship music. Um, we think the Bible really doesn't have that much to say about our music, right? It's just a joyful noise. And that's it. Um, and yet, the Bible certainly has a lot to say about it. It has a ton of things to talk about when it comes to music. If only there was a, you know, a book somewhere. Like, Jake, could you, could you just imagine if there was a book in the Bible that was like written for, I, I don't know, choir masters or chief musicians or something like that, man, that would be incredible. You know, like if, if that were in, in the inspired word of God, you'd almost want to look there if you were trying to figure out how to, you know, worship God through music, man, that would just be, 
That would be awesome. Oh, wait, <laughs> we do. Psalm chapter five, verse 11 <clears throat> says, but let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them that those who love your name may exalt in you. Psalm nine, verse two says, I will be glad and exalt in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. Psalm 33, verse 3 says, Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. Psalm 71, 23 says, My lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you, my soul also, which you have redeemed. Psalm 92, verse 4, For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands, I sing for joy. Psalm 95, verse 1. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Psalm 98, verse 4. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. James 5, 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. And there's so much more. Those are just a few verses. Hopefully, you get the picture. We should be singing praises to God joyfully, loudly, and skillfully. Our music should be accessible, in a way, quote-unquote, accessible to the common man, right? But we shouldn't bend over backwards to stoop to the lowest level of skill imaginable, right? This is kind of like the, the classroom scenario, where uh, you don't take the classroom down to the lowest possible person in the classroom. You work with them to elevate them, bring them up to where everyone else is, mm -hmm. right? We should provide ways of helping congregations increase their skills. Okay, so not everyone is, is trained vocally to sing in the congregation. That's okay. Offer classes. Help them. Teach them. Everyone can learn how to sing. I don't care who you are. You're like, oh, no, I'm not a music person. Oh, I can't even hear it. No, you can learn. God has given everyone a voice. And I believe God has given everyone a brain that can learn how to sing and sing well. That is I mean, possible. Look at, all those, look at all those Psalms passages. In all of them, mm -hmm. it doesn't begin with a qualification saying, those who can sing, sing right. <laughs> it's, exactly. it's not saying It's not giving a qualification. Everyone can. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and it's not just, oh, just make a joyful noise. No, it says multiple places sing skillfully. skillfully. Play on yeah. the strings skillfully. The musicians you have play should be skillful. There is biblically such a thing as playing skillfully, singing and worshiping skillfully, and not singing and worshiping skillfully. We shouldn't lower the standards because God doesn't lower the standards. We should raise them and help others increase their abilities as well yeah. on that front. Um, even so, just, you know, the whole point of by singing songs that challenge people, what happens, right? You may have some people who give up, right, and don't even try. But I bet multiple people in the congregation will try and learn those songs, will try and, yeah. you know, continually sing those songs. And, and by doing that, by not even not even necessarily giving classes specifically, but just by the action of singing, you can yeah. get better and you'll be if able they, to sing harder songs better. Yeah. If they realize that there's biblical precedent for learning to sing well, people will learn mm -hmm. to sing well. Because what I've found, so I, I teach music, right? Um, what I've found from so many people is that 
if they don't feel that that's biblically required or that's something that's necessary or that's something that like, well, yeah, I should really strive for that. I should really work for it. Then people can make up all sorts of excuses, right? As a teacher and as someone who's had to work with a lot of those sorts of people, you set the bar and you keep it there. They will rise to the occasion. The ability of people to rise to the bar that you set is unbelievable. They just have to know where that bar is and to know that there's biblical precedent for reaching that bar, reaching that level. And they will work to reach it. You just have to take away their excuses. <laughs> mm -hmm. I know that sounds really mean and, and tough, um, but I, I'm being honest. <laughs> from, my, from my experiences, that's, that does work. And when, when people learn to do that, they enjoy the music so much more. You're not just crooning out love songs to Jesus. The music we sing should be praising God in ways that glorify him. Not, you know, you couldn't get the praises confused and mixed up with a love song to your girlfriend. That is not biblical worship. This is your king. You're singing in his throne room. You should be extolling his praises, not treating him like, you know, a, a love song person you're writing a love song to. That's despicable. So most of all, though, we should be singing loudly and with joy. That's the issue in the so many Presbyterian churches today. And that's why I think the, the Baptist charismatic movement began. Because Presbyterian churches sapped all the joy, all the excitement out of music. They made it just very slow and dry and boring and just ridiculously slow. We should be singing with joy. And so the Baptists and the Charismatics realized that and they said, man, we need to, we need to stop that. And so they, they went completely off the rails, you know, and they developed, they, they compromised on the, um, on the music. Time. Yeah. The, yeah. The, a lot theology, even some of the, the music, they just simplified it so that they can make it accessible for everyone and, and joyful and fun to sing. And well, yeah. that's good. There's energy, but what is it you're singing about? You've, you've lost that. Right. So we, we need to have so many more conversations about the music we sing because the Bible has so, so much more to say about it. All right, moving on. Um, I'm going to jump right to cultural impact. Um, I have cultural impact and liturgy, two things I want to talk about. We might go 10 minutes, five minutes over. Um, but I, I think that's okay. Is that all right, Jake? Just go a little over. I, I did it on Monday. So, okay, cool. <laughs> all right. Won't go really far over. This makes up for us not having a Wednesday episode, right? Um, all right, cultural impact. So one of the biggest questions that I've found myself having to ask pastors is, what do you believe the cultural impact of your church should be? What do you, as the pastor, believe that your church should be, you know, how should your church be impacting society, impacting the town that you're in, impacting your neighbors? What, what are your thoughts on that? So often, oh. So often, the answer is some variation of, we need to preach the gospel, which is the right answer if the gospel you're preaching isn't the truncated, limited salvation message. If it's the gospel of the kingdom, then great. If it's the gospel of, Jesus died for your sins, see you next week, uh, give me money, please. If that's the gospel you're preaching, 
that's going to do nothing. We're in... It, it is, as we've discussed before on the show, it is the same gospel, in a sense, mm-hmm. where you're just shortening it. You're just yeah. saying the introduction, you're not going to the supporting points or the conclusion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're just talking yeah. the introduction every single time, explaining yeah. your thesis. And, you know, we keep doing this over and over and over again. Let's yeah. move to the rest of the house or the rest of the essay. Yeah. And, and these are some examples. These are the results of a true gospel. If the gospel your church preaches is the kind that gets the poor out of their gutters and into their vocations, then we have cause to celebrate. If the gospel you're preaching is the kind that transforms your community over many years, it will take time, right? But it transforms your community into one that seeks to apply all of scripture to all of life. Then we know the true gospel is being shared. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. James 1.25. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. 2 Corinthians 10.5. The church is the bride of Christ. It's the pillar and ground of truth. And it's been given the task of attacking the gates of hell itself. Mm. Imagine that. We've lost that perspective. The church is the pillar and ground of truth. It's the bride of Christ. It's supposed to be attacking the gates of hell in the culture. But we don't have that perspective, largely, in America. And that's why we're failing. Um, it's that quote from the nefarious movie that Jake brought up, right? Like, oh, I didn't know we were in a war. Yeah. And that's why you're losing. Yeah. I mean, what a mission. That's the mission we've been given as a church. I mean, on the face of it, that seems almost impossible. That doesn't seem like something we can actually accomplish until you remember the words of our Lord, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and disciple the nations. Making the nations disciples of Christ means that every area of every nation needs to be brought in submission to him. So thoughts on that, Jake, anything you'd like to add? I think we need to move on. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah, because we are out of time. uh, have one final second. Yes, we are low on time. I I don't have much to say about that because I mean, again, we've we've talked about this before, yeah. you know. But yep. um, this next part is something that I do think we yeah. have a good. Bit Let's of chat a lot about this. Yeah. yeah. So my my next section and probably final segment is liturgy, um, and I want to start off by a quote uh, with a quote from from Douglas Wilson and his book Mother Kirk because I think this really helps um, set the dichotomy and and frames the conversation. So this is from page 160 um, in Doug Wilson's book, Mother Kirk. We like to think that there are liturgical churches and non-liturgical churches out there. But actually, what we have is a distinction between churches which are self-conscious about their liturgy and churches which like to pretend they don't have one. Regardless of how much informality is emphasized, over time, concrete always sets. The issue, therefore, should be whether or not the elements of our liturgy can be defended from Scripture. 
and not whether we should have a liturgy. <laughs> In fact, as we've seen, every church has a liturgy. Every church has an order of service. But those which deny they have a liturgy have the side, quote unquote, benefit of not having to defend what they do scripturally, end quote. So as clear examples of this fact, uh, because that's a little ambiguous and it's like, oh, yeah, you know what? Actually, that starts to make a little more sense. Let's clear it up a little bit. I want to use the churches that Jake and I are going to as examples because him and I, I mean, until recently, the last three months I've been going to a PCA church, but before that I was going to a Baptist church. I've tried out a lot of Baptist churches, you know, obviously Presbyterian here, but in South Dakota, there really aren't that uh, many churches that are kingdom oriented and are Presbyterian in nature. So, mm. um, so I can personally attest to the uh, Baptist side of things, unfortunately, and Jake can speak to the uh, more rigorous Episcopalian side of things. But Jake, what are some of the most, you, what what do you think are some of them? And I'll put you on the spot here. Sorry. What do you think are some of the most like astonishing examples of liturgy that people might not know about in the Episcopal church? Um, like some of the things that just really stand out to you and you're like, you know what, going into it, this really struck me and I was not used to this, but over time I've grown to really like it. Uh, yeah, like there, there's, actually, I could say the entire thing, but um, <laughs> wow. uh, first of all, your bulletin and there's multiple different things that I want to bring out is like, first of all, your bulletin, like you're used to maybe one, two pages, three, three pages at most. No, ours is about 10, 10 pages long. Um, <laughs> and, you know, that's back and front. So, you know what it is technically one page but you know you're reading two you know so but again 10 pages long and 10 pages of different stuff hmm. but the crec church we went to in tennessee was very similar too um, yes yes it was yeah. um another aspect is the kneeling right when prayers when praying prayers the kneeling but also not only are you kneeling you're also reading and from from this 10-page bulletin, you're reading out the prayer itself. You're reading the prayer with the entire congregation and the pastor. It's not just the pastor by himself. Um, and, That's you know, the, yes, it, yes, it very much is. Uh, I think <laughs> we could spend another episode giving the scriptural backing for all of that and why we would do that. Because that, that would be a, certainly an episode within itself. But one last thing that I think is quite um, interesting and that I really like is liturgy on communion. Hmm. You have another three to four pages that you add on to that 10 when it's a day that you do communion. communion. Wow. Uh, when you do communion, there is so much more that goes into it. And you know, you give a sort of reverence to that fact. Wow. You and no, that, what that's I like great. about compared to like the Baptist churches, I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I just thought I'd compare it just a little bit because like some of the right. Baptist churches I've been to, communions, kind of, it feels like an afterthought, which is right. really sad. Um, it, you're you're renewing your covenant with your king, and these people just kind of treat it like an afterthought. Like, oh, oh yeah, we're mm -hmm. gonna we're gonna do that Lord's Supper thing. People keep talking about. All right, here's some grape juice. <laughs> like, what? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, our pastor was just talking about the other Sunday in the Sunday school, talking about um, consecrating the bread. And what does that mean? Consecrate mm. means to to um, 
to uh, kind of set it apart, but that's what holy means, but kind of like set it aside, right? And say that this is for this purpose, in a sense, naming it, right? That this bread, right, is not just any old bread. It's not anything that you would just give at a typical dinner table. No, this is bread for holy communion, right? Mm. This is set apart bread. This is for that specific fact. Um, it, just talking about all the different facets of that and giving the yeah. scriptural references for that. So I find that very interesting and in that, that we need to take communion as a whole in that sense of reverently thinking of it in that sense. This is set apart. This is different. This is, you know, this is holy. Yeah. This is, you know. Um, yeah, and additionally, but, I might add that um, we are running out of time, but th th those were all yeah, re really cool. Yeah. And and additionally, I might add that they do child communion there, which I think is is great. Um, pedo communion, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and so child communion is better than pedo, yeah, to say yeah. pedo communion because you can misunderstand what we mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you want to give wine child to babies? What? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Boom. Yeah. So babies, I, uh, bread and wine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> right. So I, I want to talk a little bit about how liturgy affects our worship. Um, uh, it affects our worship and it's important in raising children, raising the next generation generation, and fighting the culture war. I don't want to spend a ton of time on that, but I, I think that we really need to spend more time talking about those sorts of things. The reverence that we show to God is a huge part of it. We're going to fight this culture war dramatically different. We're going to compromise a lot less because we understand that we're serving a king who's sovereign over all, and we don't need to compromise to win, right? That's our problem today. We don't realize uh, how much Satan is bound, and we don't realize how uh, much of a king Christ really is. And so we compromise mm -hmm. on issues because we're like, well, we have to, we won't win this particular political battle and yada, yada, yada. It's foolishness. Foolishness. If we really understood who Christ was and the position of Satan, we wouldn't compromise nearly as much as we do. And, and the, the liturgy we have, the songs we sing, the way we sing them, the way we dress, all of this changes how we fight. It changes the next generation. If all we're doing is, um, you know, standing around a fire, chanting, hopping on one leg, mm -hmm. and we don't know why we're doing it. What do you think that does to our children? They're going to look at that as the folly that it really is, right? If we're just doing things, we're going through the motions, or if we don't have any motions to go through and it's like, okay, this is just weird. It's unpredictable. Um, there really isn't any biblical precedent for anything we just did here today. Then you've lost the reverence for the word of God. You misunderstand what it is you're actually doing, that you're in the throne room of God. When you don't treat it and take it seriously, Treat it as something that is serious. Your kids aren't going to either. And so we have an unprecedented rate of children leaving the faith in college because they, are, they see the world and the world lives, unfortunately, more consistently with their worldview than we do with ours. And that appeals to them. And so they run after it. No more. We, we, need, to, we need to stop that. And one of the best ways to do that is to really examine our own liturgy and our worship and understand what it is we're doing Sunday mornings. So I'll end with a quote um, from page 162. It's a bit longer, but I, I really think that it's, it's important. Um, and then I'll give Jake the floor for any final thoughts and then we'll wrap up. Um, 
So this is from Mother Kirk, page 162. Douglas Wilson said, A common mistake made about formal liturgy is that such worship is necessarily joyless, which is obviously unscriptural. Since our worship should be robust and joyful, many assume that we must reject formal liturgy. But this is a slander of liturgical worship, a slander, unfortunately, that is made by both those on, uh, I'm sorry, made by those on both sides of the debate. Those against liturgical worship will often caricature it, uh, caricature it as lifeless, cold, and dead. But too often, the friends of open liturgy do everything they can to confirm the many prejudices. They mutter the creed instead of wanting to shout it from the housetops. They mumble through psalms or hymns rather than singing them the way they were written to be sung. The organist thinks her job description is to be a ball and chain attached to any hymn that threatens to get too robust. (laughs) Instead of roaring amen at the conclusion of prayers, the corporate sentiment appears to be, huh, an essential part of the reformation of the modern church will be a recovery of the excitement that goes with formal liturgy, biblically understood, end quote. So hopefully that summarizes some of the sentiments we're trying to convey here today. Um, and Jake, if you have any f- final thoughts, like 30 seconds to add, I'd, I'd love to get your thoughts on just everything we just talked about, um, anything in general. Yeah, so just points on this very fact that the liturgy is... Um, there's this gives a sense of order right gives a sense of structure and it gives it a reason why and instead of just it being up in arms as to whether or not you know whatever you could do whatever during the worship service this gives more of a structure and an order and i think to your point of the young people coming into the church and looking at it they're like what is this? You know, what, what's the point Mm. of this? And so it gives people sort of a, not a bad taste, but they just are like, why? And because we're not living consistently with our worldview and more often than not, just finding this in the church that I'm a part of people flock to that order. Mm. They love liturgy. People love liturgy. Like when they, when they first joined the church, and they look at the liturgy, they they love it. And my kind of my point is that as Christians, as as created in God's image, us as creatures, we want order. Mm. We don't like chaos. Amen. We like order. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Great. That's a good way of summing it up. I, I think I'm I'm gonna leave that right there because I like <laughs> I like that. Cool. Well, thank you all in the audience so much for watching us or listening to us today. Um, Please don't forget to share this episode. I know we don't say that very often. Um, We don't push the whole like, like, subscribe, share, tell your friends. We we don't push it like super often. But, um, Mm -hmm. you know, I... I'm going to push it just a little bit more because we we do kind of want our numbers to grow a little bit. Um, And the best way to do that is not by us sinking money into all sorts of different marketing ventures, although that will help eventually when we get some money to sink into those things. (laughs) One of the best ways to do it is is you, our audience. So if, if there's a reason that you wouldn't share this episode around, we'd love to hear about it. If it's because you think we're unscriptural, 
and we're not uh, saying the things you want us to say, we're going to, you know, flatly ignore you and move on to something else. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> we're, 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 uh, we don't base our content around what we think makes you happy. Let's say that. But, but if we are unscriptural and you can provide proof, we certainly acknowledge that and study it. And um, we believe that we are holding to scripture and everything that we say. Well, we try at least to do that. Um, and no one can be perfect, but that's what we attempt to do. But if it's something else, if it's, oh, it's not easy to get your content. Oh, it's not, um, you know, some of the, the the quality needs work or we are always open to those sorts of suggestions. So if you have platforms you think we should be on, anything like that, we're still a, a early show. We're a little, little baby show at this point. So <laughs> so we're, of course, very much open to those sorts of things. But whatever mm -hmm. um, would make it easier for you to share our content, we, we want to help you do that. Um, we've, in fact, made it as easy as we, we think we can <laughs> by offering free merch, by offering all sorts of different incentivizing programs. Um, TRDshow.net slash refer is a good example of that. But if there's anything else that uh, you can think of, we're always open to suggestions. You can send those to trdshow at protimemail.com. Uh, also, check out our website, trdshow.net. Um, and trdshow.net slash episodes is where you can watch all of our episodes for free. So, you know, that's very cool as well. Um, Yes. So always looking forward to hearing from you. Thank you so, so much for watching and listening to us. We'll see you on Monday. Have a great weekend. Uh, have a wonderful Lord's Day. And remember, everyone, in all that you do, do it as unto the Lord. <laughs>